Um, if you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 10. We're going to spend the entire morning right there in Luke chapter 10. If you've got your iPad or your or phone or uh, any other device that you pull up your Bible on on Luke chapter 10, uh, you can do that. Uh, the verses that I'm going to focus on are going to be on the side screens, but we'd love for you to follow along. If you don't own a Bible, uh, we have one for you. And if you stop by the Info Hub, we'd love to give you one of these as our gift so that you can read along with us um, on a weekly basis. Uh, Luke 10, we're going to start with verse 25. Uh, on one occasion, an expert in the law uh, stood up to test Jesus. Uh, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this happened a lot. As Jesus would roam around, he would be teaching, and somebody would come up and ask him a question. I mean, that's what happens to teachers sometimes, right? Uh, if any of you are teachers, you know that. You'll be in the middle of what you're trying to say, and somebody raises their hand and asks you a question. And, and, and for sometimes, it was people who genuinely wanted to know Jesus' opinion. Uh, but in sometimes, in case like this, Luke tells us uh, that this, this uh, man was trying to test Jesus. He was trying to catch him in a trap. And so verse 26, uh, Jesus answers, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Now, this is uh, common for Jesus as well, that when somebody would ask him a question, he would answer the question with a question. If you're a parent, you've probably become pretty adept at this, right? You know, uh, mom, what am I supposed to do next? What did I already tell you? You know, and so you, you get used to answering questions with questions. But Jesus did this a lot because he wants us to think about uh, what he's tried to teach us. So verse 27, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is exactly how Jesus would have answered this question. And we know that uh, because in Mark 12, uh, somebody asked him this question and Jesus gives them that answer, love, love God and love your neighbor. And so in verse 28, he says, You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. He says, Do this and you will live. Such a fascinating response here by Jesus. He says, do this. He says, you have answered correctly, which he likely knew the man would. I mean, after all, the text tells us that he was an expert in the law. Uh, so the man knows the law. He knows what it says. Uh, but then Jesus adds one more thing. He says, do this and you will live. Now, why does he say that? He, he says, because he knows that this man likely, as many of the teachers of the law would have been at the time, were really good at knowing, but maybe not so good at doing. And so he throws him a challenge. He says, do this and you will live. This is kind of a theme of Jesus's ministry, by the way. As you read the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you'll see is that he doesn't say, he always says, uh, it's not enough to hear the words of God. You have to go do the words of God. In fact, Jesus once said that a man who hears my words but doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And when the storm comes, the house was easily washed away. He says, but the one who hears my words and puts them into practice is like the man who built his house on a firm foundation. Over and over again through scripture, you know, Jesus tells us that knowing his words aren't enough, but we are to do them. You know, in fact, so many times uh, I'll hear people talk about how they want to go deeper in the word. They want to go deep. And usually when people say that, sometimes they mean, what they mean is they want to, you know, start translating words and they want to know what Jesus meant when he said. But um, Jesus so many times tells us, if you want to go deeper, what you got to go do is go do what I tell you to do. You know, it's like this. I've used this example before, but for some of you, if I tell my daughter to go clean her room and then I go up a half an hour later and, and nothing's been done. And I say, what have you been doing? She goes, well, Dad, I've been thinking about what you said uh, when you said clean your room. And, and, I, and I called a couple of my friends and we talked about what it means, what it would look like if I actually cleaned my room. And in fact, we've even translated it. We've translated it into the Greek and into the Hebrew what those words mean, clean my room. You see what I'm saying? What I really wanted was for my daughter to clean her room. 
And what she wants to do is figure out what I was trying to say. But so sometimes the best knowers aren't always the best doers. And that's what Jesus is saying. So respond, he responds to the expert in the law. He says, do this and you will live. Go love your neighbor as yourself. And, and by saying that to this expert in the law, Jesus is also saying it to us. Do this and you will live. And as the writers of the Gospels remind us over and over and over, uh, we're supposed to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. So let me ask, how are we doing with that? I mean, I'm not talking about us individually, although that could be a challenge for you maybe, but my experience, though, is around, you know, here, Carmel, Westfield, uh, Noblesville, Zionsville, you know, most of us are pretty good at loving our neighbors. At least we love the ones we like, right? We're, we're good at loving the people we like, but I'm wondering, like, as a group, as a body, as, as a nation, how are we doing at loving our neighbors? As the church, and I don't just mean Genesis Church, I mean as the church, how are we doing at loving our neighbors? One thing I've noticed is that we're all excited to help when there's an emergency, when something like uh, Typhoon Haiyan hits, everybody wants to get involved. When there's tornadoes that are close to home, everybody wants to get involved. But for some people, every day is an emergency. It's, it's an emergency just trying to live. Let me share some statistics that might surprise you. You may have heard these before. But, but about 80% of the world's population, 80%, lives on less than $10 a day. So what you spend for lunch uh, on you when you leave here, um, 80% of people live on less than that per day. 800 million people in the world, uh, one in seven people worldwide, don't have enough to eat every day. One in six don't have access to safe water. One in six don't have access to basic health care, which means basically one million people die every year from malaria. Now think about it. Malaria is an easily preventable disease with a readily available vaccine but still kills a million people a year. In fact, I heard a statistic a couple years ago. I was reading a book, and it said they, they claim that malaria has taken more lives over the course of history than anything, everything else combined. Malaria, easily preventable. 22,000 children die every day from poverty-related diseases. So while you're uh, awake today, 22,000 children are going to die from poverty. But those statistics don't tell the story uh, like they do when you encounter one of these stories one-on-one. A couple years ago, uh, in 2011, uh, February, I made my first trip ever to Haiti. And I remember being down there and just kind of being overwhelmed with the poverty in general that I saw and everything that I saw. But there's one story that that just stuck out to me, and it was um, a baby by the name of Rose. Uh, Rose uh, had come to the clinic at Nehemiah Vision Ministries, which is our ministry partner down there. And at the time she came, they first met her. She was uh, six months old and weighed eight pounds. Now, if you know anything about babies, uh, there are babies that are born at eight pounds. Uh, Six months, they should be somewhere between 15 and 20 pounds. And so uh, baby Rose had been, uh, she was premature, first of all, but she had been extremely malnourished. In fact, her mother didn't want her. Her mother had abandoned her, um, and her mother had actually tried to kill her a couple of times. Now, I don't know uh, what kind of uh, person tries to kill a little baby, but you can imagine that her circumstances must have been pretty tough. And baby Rose had been living with some distant relatives in this village near where we stayed, and two of the nurses from the clinic kind of took her in and started feeding her, and and started helping her, nursing her back to health. And she was so tiny. She was the smallest six-month-old or eight-month-old baby I'd ever seen when I first met her. And and one of the things that happened is that every team that came down there that got to meet baby Rose wanted to invest in her because they knew her story. You know, they heard about her. And so... um, she was, she was malnourished while she was getting nourishment. She didn't have any medicine while she was getting medicine for a couple of these diseases she had. And she started to grow and to thrive because people were investing in her. And this is a picture of baby Rose now. She's uh, about four years old and she's in preschool and she is a 
perfectly beautiful, as you can see, healthy little Haitian girl, and you would never know that that was an issue. But that's because when people heard her story and saw her face to face and looked into her eyes, the eyes that God made, they wanted to get involved. And what happens when we hear these stories and we see these stories one-on-one is that we want to help. These, these big statistics that we hear uh, of these generic people of the world, well, it's easy to give ourselves a pass. You know, we don't really know them. And so our tendency is, well, that we get a pass on that. And that's kind of what the teacher of the law does next. You know, when Jesus says, do this and you will live, uh, well, he starts looking for a way out. And maybe you and I do this too. But in Luke 20, 10, 29, he says this, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And the teacher of the law says, okay, well, who's my neighbor? This question that the expert in the law asked, I think, is is the question that so many of us look for an answer to. I mean, because, listen, we see these needs. uh, We know that they're there. We know these things exist. But they're not right in front of us. We don't see them every day. Uh, And so one of the things I've noticed in all of us is that we're pretty good at loving the people we like. And we're pretty good at loving people who are like us. You know, or maybe we, we see the needs and they're people that are around us, but, but we know the people and we know their stories and we know the decisions that they've made that contributed to the situation they're in. We know the, the problems they have. We know the, 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 the sad things that they've done or the choices they've made themselves and, and they take some blame for the situation we're in and and, uh, and so we don't like to help because of that. I love it how Tim Keller put it in his book, Generous Justice. He says, we all want to help kind-hearted, upright people whose poverty came upon them through no foolishness or contribution of their own and who will respond to our aid with gratitude and joy. However, almost no one like that exists. And look, I do this, and maybe you do it too, and especially here in America, I honestly believe that America is the land of opportunity. And I believe that, I I was taught this growing up, and I've seen it played out over and over again, that just about anyone who's willing to work hard and do, make some sacrifices, like there's a reward to be had at the end, right? And, but, but just think about this. Don't we all know somebody who was born with an unfair advantage? I mean, don't you know, like if somebody's born a Kennedy, you know, they don't, they don't have to work very hard to be wealthy for their lives, right? I mean, if somebody's born a Rockefeller, if somebody's born a, a Kardashian, for instance, you know, they don't have to work. They, they get a free pass. They're going to be wealthy and successful no matter what happens, right? Well, if you believe that and you've seen that in your life, then it only goes to follow that some people are born with an unfair disadvantage as well. I mean, you and I, most of us, have the advantage of being born in the United States, which gives us a huge advantage uh, from a poverty perspective worldwide. But even within our culture, there are some people, we're not, on America, we're not on a level playing field in America. I mean, and sometimes we hate to admit it, but poverty is a complex thing. It takes, it's taken us generations and generations to get where we are, and, and it's going to take a lot of time and work to get away from it. And, and for many of us, quite honestly, there's some calculated neglect going on here. Uh, but if we could just get an answer to this question, who is my neighbor, uh, then at least we'd start to understand what our responsibility in the matter is. And, and so Jesus, like he often does, answers this question for an expert in the law, but he doesn't do it with a question this time. He does it instead with a story. It's a parable, and it's a story you may be familiar with, but I want to look at it in depth today and see what it has to say about the world that we're living in. And so we're going to continue uh, Luke 10, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes uh, and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, it's probably hard for us in the 21st century to see the controversy uh, in this story, but believe me, it's there. Uh, Many of the people that heard this story may have just walked away because it was so controversial what Jesus said. I want us to think about the characters of this story. Um, Besides the man who was robbed and beaten, there are really three main characters here. The first one is the priest. We meet the priest. The priest would have been of very high esteem in Israel. You know, priest, office of priest was respected. It was important. Uh, The priest represented the people before God. He he made sacrifices on their behalf, and this required special training and uh, special instruction. And everyone that heard this story would have recognized the priest as someone of very high esteem and importance and status. And then the second character that comes along is a Levite. Now, the Levite wouldn't have been as respected as the priest, but still, uh, they would have had high status in Israel. Their job was to protect and maintain the temple where people went to worship, and they had other religious duties as well. So some esteem came with being a Levite. Now, the listeners of this day probably were listening to this story and thought, okay, I see where this is going. I know where he's going with this. So there's a priest, and there's a Levite, and the third character is going to be a common Jewish man. And this will be the guy who's the hero in the story. It would make sense. A priest of very high esteem, a Levite of slightly lower rank, and then a common Jew comes along. But Jesus brings a big surprise on them. The third character in this story is not a Jew, but a Samaritan. What's the big deal? Well, we don't get it. I mean, we use the word Samaritan all the time, right? Anytime uh, we hear a story on the news about somebody who pulls somebody from a burning car uh, or who uh, brings back returns to someone, you know, $1,000 that they found in the street, we call them a good Samaritan. You know, that's, that's just terminology we use. But I'm telling you, uh, the Jewish people of the day, a good Samaritan would have been an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is, right? It's where you have two words that kind of have opposite meanings that you put next to each other uh, to make up a phrase. So like almost exactly is an oxymoron, right? Because almost means not quite and exactly means precisely. And uh, like jumbo shrimp, that's one that you hear a lot of times. Jumbo shrimp is an oxymoron. Airline schedule, right? Maybe that's one that you've heard that's an oxymoron. Or if you like to go to Walmart, speedy checkout. You ever see that at Walmart? That's an oxymoron, right? Well, good Samaritan would have been an oxymoron. Why? Well, the Jews hated Samaritans. They hated the Samaritans. Why? Well, because they weren't Jews, but they weren't really Gentiles either. They were kind of half Israeli. They were the result of Jews intermarrying and breeding with, other, with Gentiles. If you were here this summer and you heard us go through the Old Testament, you know that there were times where um, the Israelites would, the nation of Israel would march into a place and take over a land and God would tell them to completely wipe out the population, not to intermarry um, with them. And so when they took over the promised land, he said, you know, don't leave any survivors, don't intermarry. Well, some of them did. They rebelled against God, and they intermarried with other cultures. And so uh, the Samaritans are the result of Jews intermarrying with Gentiles. And so um, they're not fully Jewish, but they claim the same God, and they worshiped in the same, in, in the same God, and they followed the Jewish law. And the, so the Jews viewed them as heretics. And so they didn't like them. 
But Jesus uses the Samaritan as the hero in this story, and he does it to make a point. He, he says it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your title is or where you've come from or, or how much you know. What matters is that you're willing to be a neighbor to someone in need. And through this story, um, Jesus teaches us four traits, I think, that we can see uh, of a neighbor. And so I've put these in your notes if you want to follow along. They're on the back of your worship program. Four things that we can see it means to be a neighbor. And the first one is this. A neighbor has awareness. This is the first thing uh, I think Jesus wanted the expert in the law to grasp. You know, if you want to be a neighbor, you've got to know your neighbors. This is what we see in this story. The priest... um, both the, both the priest, when Jesus is telling this story, and, and the Levite are crossing the street to get away from the injured man. You know, do you ever do that? Like you're walking downtown and you see a panhandler? Do you cross the street so you don't have to see them? You know, if you uh, go off the interstate to an intersection where you know that there's a man who's got a sign um, that says, we'll work for food or, or homeless, please help. Do you, do you cross over into that furthest lane away from him so you don't have to make eye contact with him? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not laying a guilt trip on you. I do this too, all right? But there are times when we don't always want to have awareness. The priest did that. The Levite did it too. They're intentionally avoided uh, being aware of this man's plight. Now, I don't know if they were in a hurry uh, or, or maybe they had weak stomachs. They didn't like the sight of blood. Um, or maybe they're concerned with what might happen to them. I mean, after all, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was well known for being plagued by bandits. And so maybe they're afraid if they stopped and helped that they would have been a victim too. But, but that's not what the Samaritan worries about. Instead, all he sees is a fellow human being that needs help. And once he becomes aware, he knows he needs to do something about it. I, I love what Martin Luther King Jr. said about this story. He said, the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan reversed this question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? See, when we approach life with questions like that, then once you become aware of a need, uh, you have to go do something about it. There's an obligation in you that you feel to go do something about it. So are you? Are you aware of the needs of your neighbors? You know, do you know the people who live right around you, the parents of your uh, kids' friends, you know? Uh, if you have neighbors in your neighborhood, do you know what's going on with them? I have one lady that I meet at the bus stop every day, and she'll say, hey, what's going on with so-and-so's mom? Or, or have you talked to Cindy lately? I'm like, and I've been in the neighborhood for a, couple, a lot longer than she has, and I'm like, Cindy, who's Cindy? Oh, it's, it's so-and-so's mom. And I'm, I'm like, well, I don't know. Is there something going on with her? She's acutely aware of what's going on with the people around us. It's, she's made it her business to do that. Do you make it your business to be aware of the needs of the people in your community? You know, I gave you a few global poverty stats earlier, but I want to tell you about what's happening right here in Hamilton County because so many of us that live in Hamilton County, and this is true for Boone County. It's also even more true for Marion County if you live there. But we don't always think about poverty in our own neighborhoods, do we? I mean, because we see around us so much excess sometimes and, and so much stuff. But, but the population of Hamilton County, as of the beginning of the last year, is 290,000 people. Um, of those... Statistics tell us that 25,760 people are food insecure. Now, that means that they can't afford three meals a day. So about 9% of our county right here can't afford three meals a day. In 2011, 16% of Hamilton County students received free or reduced lunches. That's the commonly um, measured way of of talking about poverty is free or reduced lunch. 16% of Hamilton County residents. So I just want you to picture this, okay? If you've got a kid on a soccer team and and his soccer team or her soccer team has 12 kids... um, there's a good chance that one of them is food insecure and that two of them on that soccer team of 12 
um, get free or reduced lunch. So if you just picture the kids in your, uh, in your community or in your neighborhood, uh, one local food pantry reported that they served 30 families a week in 2008, but 125 families a week in 2012, about four times uh, the need right here in the wealthiest county in Indiana. And so many of us are unaware of it, maybe because it's hard to see, or maybe because we'd rather cross the road to avoid it. But a true neighbor, Jesus says, is someone who has awareness. Uh, number two, a neighbor is someone who has access. A neighbor has access. Luke uh, 10, 34, it says, The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Those first four words are important. He went to him. You know, the, the Samaritan had access to this man, and he went to him. He didn't wait. He, he saw the need. He had access, and he went to him. He got down in the ditch with the man. He, he bandaged the wounds, maybe with his own clothing, uh, but certainly with his own supplies. You know, the scripture says that he poured oil and wine on them. Olive oil would have been used to keep the skin soft and supple so it could heal better, and wine would have been used to disinfect the wounds. He, he took great effort to care for this man, but his compassion doesn't stop there. I think about this Samaritan. He was on this road between Jerusalem and Jericho, which meant what? He's going somewhere. You're not out on the road between these two cities unless you're going somewhere. He had stuff to do. He was traveling. Scripture doesn't tell us what his purpose was in being on this road, but we know that he disrupted his plans. You know, and it wasn't just a minor inconvenience either because I never saw this until I was studying for this this, uh, sermon today. But verse 35, it says, he was still with the man the next day. That the Samaritan didn't just stop and drop him off at the inn, but he put his own plans aside to this man to, to take this man to the inn. He put him on his own donkey, took him to the inn, and he stayed with him that night. So compassionate. So many of us would like to think that we can relate to the good Samaritan, and I think many of us can. I, I know people in this room who gladly put their own plans aside uh, to help someone in need. But, but when it's me in that situation... I'm just being honest. I'm much more likely to do the minimum it takes to help and then get on with my life. I'd drop the old boy at the end and say, you good? You good? Because I got a thing I got to be at, right? I mean, that's, that's, but that's not what the Samaritan said. He said, I'm not leaving your side tonight. He said, I'm not trusting anyone else with your care. I'm going to make sure that this ends well for you. Why? Because he had awareness, because he had access. And the third thing we see is this. A neighbor has ability. A neighbor has ability. Verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense uh, you may have. What we see is in addition to his time, the Good Samaritan, it cost him financially to care for this man. Uh, Those two denarii were about two days' wages, which is a pretty substantial sacrifice. I mean, think about two days of your wages. Uh, That's important, but he didn't stop there. He told the innkeeper he would be responsible for any additional charges uh, when he returned. And because of his ability to help, once he became aware, he gave, uh, you know, from his money to help make a difference. I love British Prime Minister, former British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher uh, once said, no one would have remembered the Good Samaritan if he only had good intentions. He had money as well. You know, so undoubtedly it takes some financial means to be a neighbor. It's not either serve or give. Instead, Jesus said, a true neighbor will serve and give. You know, but, but I want you to notice, too, the, that having ability doesn't mean you have an, ac- an excess to give out of. We don't know for sure the Good Samaritan's financial situation, 
But I think it's fair to assume that the burden of caring for this man required some sacrifice on his part. I mean, certainly we see that with time. I think we can say that with money too. Now, do we have ability? You better believe we do. Now, I'm talking about the church, universal, not just Genesis Church, but, but the church in America. We're probably better equipped than ever before to, to deal with these problems, these needs in the history of the church. The, the total Amer- income of American church goers, just so you know, is $5.2 trillion. Now, that's a huge amount. I can't even get my brain around that. But think about this. $5.2 trillion is a billion dollars 5,000 times. A billion dollars, 5,000 times total income of American church growers. American Christians are 5% of the population of the church worldwide, but about half of the wealth of the church worldwide. And, and 1% of the income of the American church, 1%, could lift the poorest billion people out of extreme poverty. 1% of our income. Now, now 1% of our income wouldn't come without sacrifice just like it didn't for the Good Samaritan. But I hope we can see today that in helping our neighbor in need is going to require some things of us. It will require some time, effort, commitment, and yeah, some resources. And that's what we see in the Good Samaritan. So a neighbor has awareness, a neighbor has access, a neighbor has ability, and fourth, and maybe most critically, a neighbor takes action. A neighbor takes action. Verse 36, which of these three, Jesus asked, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You know, if we look at all three of the characters in this story, we notice they have some things in common. They, they all had some awareness. We, we're assuming they all saw the man in the ditch and noticed that he had need. They all had access to him and had they chosen to. Um, they all likely had the ability to help because, like, as we said, the, the priest and the Levite would have been esteemed in Israel, likely would have had the ability to help, at least to do something. But the difference with the Good Samaritan, the one difference is in his response, that he chose to take action. And, and through this parable, Jesus not only answers the question for us, who is our neighbor? But he answers, what kind of neighbor should I be? You know, we all have these other traits of a good neighbor. We could, we could all have awareness if we choose to. Uh, we could all have access. We all have access to people around us that we work with, that we live in the neighborhood with, that, that our kids go to school with. We all have ability to some extent, even if it takes a sacrifice, all of us have some ability to help. But if we don't take action... We're just ignoring the problem. We're just walking on the other side of the street. But in this story, Jesus doesn't lift up the religious people who do nothing. Instead, he praises the man who does something, the one who takes action. He tells the expert in the law, go and do likewise. He doesn't say go be like the priest or the Levite. He says go do like the good Samaritan did. Go and do likewise. And at the same time, he gives that instruction to you and me. We need to be willing to go and do likewise. And as the wealthiest church in all of history, we need to be willing to take action. We've got to be willing to go and do likewise in our city, in our county, uh, in our metropolitan area, and in the world. You know, it's why Genesis has formed partnerships with organizations like Convoy of Hope. And we, get, we celebrate gifts like the one that we announced today. And if you are here and you give on a regular basis to the ministry of Genesis Church, then you're a part of that. You, you can celebrate it. If you give to this church, you can celebrate that video with us. You can celebrate that we're helping to, to people find their way back to God by giving of their Um, physical needs in places all over the world. It's why we have partnerships with people like Glass Bell Ministries in Ukraine and like Nehemiah Vision Ministries in Haiti, serving the needs of the poor around the world. But but it's also why we pour resources into places like Shepherd Community Center in downtown Indianapolis and Grace Care Center and Good Samaritan right here in Hamilton County. It's why we partner with Kids Against Hunger. All of this because we recognize the great responsibility 
we have to love our neighbors. But you should also know, we should also know, that our responsibility to our neighbor doesn't stop with what we as a church do corporately. Because what makes up the church? What's well, you? It's people, right? It's, it's you and me, our families and friends working together. And the church is the people of God. That this is my responsibility. This is your responsibility. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it's our responsibility to be a good neighbor, to go and do likewise. And so I have a challenge for you today. As you leave today, this isn't about corporate giving or what the church will do as a whole. This is about you and your friends and your family loving your neighbors. According to the American Research Council, the average American household will spend $801 on Christmas gifts this year, $801. But I know that our church is way above average in a lot of areas, and maybe this one too. Um, And I know that you've got to buy for your cousins and your nephews and your aunt that you only see once a year, but, but I wonder... What if each and every one of us could take a small portion of that money that we were going to spend on gifts for other people and instead use it to make a difference right here in our community? You know, if you think about it, about a thousand people on a good weekend, about a thousand people attend Genesis Church at one of our two locations between here in Carmel and Noblesville, uh, men, women, and children. So what if you were to each take uh, one gift that you were going to give to somebody in your family? Uh, Maybe it's you and your spouse. You know, maybe it's a gift that you were going to give to your kids. Maybe it is a gift to somebody in your family that you don't see very often. And you could take that one gift. What's a, what's a gift cost? 25 bucks? If you were to take that one gift and instead of giving it to someone in your family, to give it to one of our ministry partners. You know, and then what if you were to take two hours of your time between now and Christmas and invest that in a ministry somewhere in doing good somewhere uh, in our community? One gift in two hours. What could $25,000 and 2,000 hours invested in our community between now and Christmas. What could that do to help families in Hamilton County have a great Thanksgiving and a great Christmas? We're going to do something to equip you to do this as a church. I want you to take a look at this. Love your neighbor. What does that mean to you? How do you love your neighbor in your daily life? This holiday season, Genesis Church is partnering with two wonderful organizations to provide ways for you to put your faith into action and love your neighbor. The Carmel Campus is partnering with the O'Connor House, which is a Christian residential home that helps single pregnant women and their children improve their lives. And the Noblesville Campus is partnering with the Good Samaritan Network, which meets people in their needs and empowers them in their lives. Both campuses will be helping provide Christmas gifts and meet basic needs for families all over Hamilton County. Starting today, you can go out to the lobby and pick up a gift tag. On that tag, you will find one item, which you can purchase and bring back unwrapped by December 8th. The simple act of bringing back a gift for someone in need could change your neighbor's life forever. Genesis Church, I want to challenge you to love your neighbor. As Trisha said, we're going to focus on the O'Connor House this year. Um, and if you don't know about the O'Connor House, they are right here in Carmel. The O'Connor House's mission is to operate a Christian residential home uh, to help single pregnant women improve life for themselves and for their children. You know, what they do is they provide food and shelter and transportation to pregnant women who might otherwise lack those basic needs, including transportation to our church here on Sunday. Uh, often uh, many, many uh, of their women come here, attend service here, 
And uh, their, their women are here every week, and my life has been enriched by getting to know them and getting to know their volunteers at the O'Connor House and getting to know the kids uh, that are born in the O'Connor House. And because the O'Connor House exists, there are literally kids that are alive today. Uh, what a cool place. What a cool way to invest. You know, they, they teach life skills to these uh, young women to better equip them to function in society as, on their own as a mother and as a provider. They, they counsel women that are considering adoption to prepare them for that. It's really an incredible place. We have lots of their volunteers that attend here, um, lots of people that have attended here that have become volunteers for the O'Connor House, and we have an opportunity to bless them this Christmas. And so if you go out these doors, this uh, uh, far right, my far right doors, uh, right out there in the lobby after the service, there's going to be some volunteers handing out these, and these are gift tags. And uh, all it is is a gift tag, and uh, yours may say the O'Connor House, but when we get rid of those, we're going to start doing some for Good Samaritan in Hamilton County. And uh, on the back, there's a, there's a gift that it's asking you to get. And all you have to do is take this tag, uh, buy that gift, and, and bring it back in the next two weeks. And there's instructions on the tag for how to do that. And, and what a cool way uh, to bless our neighbor this Christmas. You know, our church can't do everything, but doing nothing is not an option. And we hope you'll help us out and grab a gift tag on the way out. But don't stop there. Because one gift, that's one way that you can make a difference. But we hope you'll also give of your time. You know, if you have a worship program today, you might look on the inside. Uh, There's a a little uh, panel in there that talks about all the different service opportunities that we have. Would you consider uh, giving two hours of your time as well? I mean, and you can do it uh, with a family. You can choose to invest in one of our ministry partners. The the opportunities start this week with Thanksgiving dinner uh, through Good Samaritan. That's at White River Christian Church in Noblesville. Uh, You can give and invest in that. Um, You can do it with your family. Uh, Maybe your connection group wants to serve together. There's lots of opportunities for that. Maybe it's a group of friends that get together and just want to serve. However you want to serve. And it doesn't have to be one. We just wanted to give you some options. You don't have to take one of those opportunities, but would you take two hours and do something now, between now and Christmas, that's going to invest in your community. You know, our family has started kind of a tradition in the last um, two years. Uh, we will go downtown one weekend in December to look at the Christmas lights uh, in downtown Indianapolis. But at the same time, what we've been doing is we've been taking uh, hats and gloves and socks and uh, a couple thermoses of soup. And as we're walking around downtown, if we see a panhandler, if we see a homeless person, that we would go over to them and, and stop and offer them some warm soup and gloves and hat, whatever they might need. And then last year, we did it with some friends of ours across the street, and it was a really cool thing for our kids to be involved in making the soup and packing the soup and <clears throat> packing the gloves and everything. And we went downtown, and I'll never forget walking along the circle and meeting a man named Brian. And uh, Brian uh, was homeless. He was living in Indianapolis. He actually had a family. His family was in Atlanta. Uh, he moved up to Indianapolis to be ne- near his brother. Uh, his brother had a job, um, but he lost his job. Brian lost his job, and uh, he ended up out on the street, and uh, he was trying to um, get enough money to get back with his family in Atlanta. And I talked to Brian, and my, my buddy was there, and he said, hey, how can we pray for you? And so we had the chance to give him some soup and give him a hat and give him some gloves and, and pray for him. And then um, we said, well, where are you staying, man? And he said, well, there's a homeless camp under the bridge. Um, and he gave me where it was. And I just remember at that time feeling a tug at my heart to, like, you've got to go to that camp. And I didn't. And I still haven't. I mean, I heard that tug, and, but I turned it down. I haven't been there. I, I drove past it the other day, and there was nobody there. And, but I thought, I still need to stop at that. I don't know what God is going to call you to do this Christmas, but I hope you'll listen. 
Now, maybe it's something way beyond this. I mean, maybe, maybe God's not just calling you to, to one gift in two hours. Maybe it's something bigger with your life. But I hope whatever it is, I pray that you will be open to it and that you'll follow his lead. And let me tell you why this is so important. You know, when Jesus asked this question about the greatest commandment, uh, he, he lays out, love your God and love your neighbor. He follows it up with a statement in Matthew 22. He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these commands. Everything else hangs on these commands. So, so you can go about your walk with the Lord. You can come to church every Sunday. You can serve on a team. I mean, you can change diapers and gin kids. You can get in a group. You can clean up your act. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or date girls that do, you know. But Jesus says, if you don't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you don't love your neighbor as yourself, the rest of it adds up to nothing. Everything hinges on these two commands. Do you understand the weight of this? Like, we have got to get this right. And think of the difference we can make, you and me, you know, working together in the name of Jesus. What impact could we have on this city, you know, on this county, on this metropolitan area, if we just gave a little fraction of what we've been giving? I mean, think about how we could love our neighbor just by giving a little bit of our time and a tiny bit of our money. You know, could we change a family and, and give them a hand up? You know, could, how much difference could we make that just might change the course of a kid's life? What if the church, just by being the church, could be a light to our world, a city, a shining city on a hill, as Jesus called it. We may never know how all this could work together to help people find their way back to God. Would you pray with me? God, I'm convicted even this morning um, that I personally haven't done enough to make a difference and to be a good neighbor. And so, God, as as we uh, look to just um, to worship you and to, to give back a little piece of everything that you've given to us, God. I just pray that as we're convicted, that you will lead us uh, to not be guilty out of that conviction, but to to make a change, uh, to do something that's going to make a difference for people. God, would you help us, point us in the direction that you would have us go uh, to bring a little bit of heaven down here, to to, to make this place a little more like you'd want to see it. God, we we thank you for your son Jesus that, that completely cleanses our sin. And God, we just want to respond to that in a way that is worthy of that gift. And so um, as we come to you in a time of worship now, God, we just pray that this would be pleasing to you, but that we wouldn't stop with just saying the right words, God, but that we would go and do the right things, that we could uh, have the strength, the, the power, the conviction to go and do likewise. In Jesus' name, amen.